Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your New Comics Wednesday episode for December 8th, 2021. Uh, quite a few books to get through, so I'm going to dive right in. Got 19 books today. And I just want to remind everybody really quick before uh, we get into the books, spoiler free today on New Comic Book Wednesday, as always, that uh, our DC Spotlight came out yesterday. That does have spoilers. Rocky and I talked about all 11 DC books that came out yesterday. So be sure to check that out. And also be sure you're following us on social media. The announcement for 12 Days of the Comic Source and uh, special stuff we have planned for that will be coming uh, very soon. So let's go ahead and dive into the first book I'm going to talk about. It's The Amazing Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, I've said before, I don't really understand why they have these point issues. This is 80 point B-E-Y or 80 point beyond. Just call it 81 and we can all move on with our lives. It's the same sort of writer's room group. Um, Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells. They call themselves the Beyond Board. Um, it's, it's a big group of, of creators. Like in the direction Amazing Spider-Man's going in. They're putting out four issues a month, basically, uh, even though some of them are these point issues. Um, so you need more than just one writer, <laughs> uh, for sure, especially when it comes to the scripting. But uh, this is all one story, right? Like, are you, are you, is it a point issue because it doesn't have very much of Peter Parker in it or, or Ben Riley doesn't show up? I mean, we, we knew that this issue was going to be Aunt May and, and Doc Ock. So it's part of the overall story. Just, just put in the regular issue. Give it a regular number. I don't understand these point issues that Marvel's come up with and how they decide. It doesn't seem to make much sense to me. As far as the story itself, uh, I'm not really used to seeing Aunt May with so much agency. So it takes a little bit of, of getting used to. I guess you'd say, uh, but this issue does kind of trade on her long-term or I want to say long-term because it makes it sound like they've been together for a while, but uh, you know, goes back to the very, very early issues of amazing Spider-Man where Aunt May and uh, Otto Octavius have a relationship. So there's a lot of that in here and there's a lot of history between these two characters and Cody Ziegler who handles the writing duties, um, in terms of actually scripting the issue does a great job of um, dropping little hints and uh, their character acting, the way they interact with each other. It's clear they have a history. Uh, I also felt the art by even Fiorella with Carlos Gomez and Paco Medina was very, very good, especially for having three artists. It, uh, it flowed very smoothly. Uh, I didn't even notice that, uh, you know, like, Oh, this page is one of one artist, this page is by another artist. So, um, it was done really well, and I'll credit Rochelle Rosenberg as well, the color artist, for you know pulling it all together. And that's often the case, especially when you have different artists on a book. If you have a really strong color artist, they can sort of tie it all together. It's the the consistency of the color that can help smooth over some of the rough edges or parts of the art that look sort of disparate. Uh, and Joe Caramagna does the letters; he does a great job as well. So this was a fun issue. Uh, we got a few hints about the Beyond Corporation. I'm sure we'll learn more as this goes along. 
uh, like we've been talking about. So uh, back to regular numbers next week with issue number 81. So that's your uh, amazing Spider-Man for the week. Uh, up next, we have uh, a title from Image. I talked about the first issue a few weeks ago. It's a thing called Truth. It's from Yolanda Zanferdino and Elisa Romboli as uh, the artist. This is basically almost like a modern Thelma and Louise type story in, in the sense that it's two female protagonists. They're in a car. They're on a road trip. Um, so there are a lot of similarities. They're sort of strangers when this starts out. And they're, they're getting to know one another just as we're getting to know them. Uh, we saw last issue that we, we sort of focused on one of the characters and, and got her origin. I guess you'd say um, she's the more cerebral or uh, intelligent of the two. Um, she's a scientist. She got basically taken advantage of by the, the company that she worked for. Um, you know, she had this great idea. She was on the verge of a, a breakthrough or just made a breakthrough about to make millions of dollars on it for her company. And then all of a sudden, you know, shows up the next day she's locked out, locked out company has a legal claim to all her work. Um, and so we, again, we met her last issue scientist, a little socially awkward, definitely shy, her name is uh, Magdalene Traumer. And in this issue, we meet the other half, who's sort of this free spirit, um, always been broke, and, and she actually steals uh, Magdalene's car, uh, not knowing that, that Mags is sleeping off a hangover in the back. So her name is Dorian Wildfang, and she's... Um, She's got her own reasons for wanting to be uh, on the road. You know, Mags is sort of wanting to put the, her recent past behind her. Um, and she has some reservations about going on this road trip with, with Dorian. I mean, Dorian just stole her car. Um, but ultimately, like I said, she, uh, Mags wants to get away from her recent past. Dorian has her own things that she's fleeing from, but also also some things that she's headed towards which is an interesting juxtaposition. Um, and that's really what all this is about in terms of this story. It's a lot of push and pull with, with opposites, you know, that, that idea that opposites attract. So I don't, you know, at first, based on what happened with the company that Mags works for, I thought it was, this would be some sort of like conspiracy thing where Dorian was showing up and knew something about the company and was there to, to sort of help Mags. Now I'm wondering if all that is just sort of, um, I don't want to say filler, but just sort of in the, in the background detail that sort of gives richness to the world. But what's really at the heart of the story and what's going to be explored is the relationship between these two women. It's too soon to say what exactly is going to happen yet. But what I will say is I like the interaction between the two female leads. It comes across as very authentic and I'm interested to see where it goes. So uh, the art is also really, really good. The colors, 
Um, this is a book that you should be reading. Don't sleep on it. Uh, I have a feeling that it's going to be uh, emotional at times and really, really insightful at times. I mean, in fact, I would go so far as to say you can see it right there in the title, right? A Thing Called Truth. In a way, what both these characters are doing by going on this road trip is, is searching for their own truths. Um, and ultimately, the truth about who they each are. You know, we, they, they have this idea or they've had this idea in their minds of who they've been in their lives up to this point. And now both their lives have been thrown into turmoil. And so, yes, they're on this road trip and they're out there either from, depending on what perspective you want to look at it from either heading away from their past or heading toward an unknown future. And you could look at either of those things as a search for truth. But ultimately, I think what they're looking for is the truth about who they are and being that they're strangers and they're so different it may be the way that they each see each other you know through that lens of this opposite sides of the spectrum scale that they're on that they discover the truths about themselves so again relatable interesting fantastic art uh, i'm definitely in for the long haul on uh, a thing called truth so kudos to the creative team uh, you know i love it when creators I've never heard of just hooked me right away. Um, it shows the, the strength of the, the creative talent that's out there. Uh, okay, up next is my first Marvel book I'm going to talk about. It's Captain America Iron Man. It's from writer Derek Landy. Art is by Angel Unzetta. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, right away when I started looking at this, I'll talk about the art first. I, I was reminded of Iron Man. The, the recent Christopher Cantwell run of Iron Man. And, you know, obviously Iron Man's in this book. And then we also just had the uh, United States of Captain America from Christopher Cantwell. This has Captain America in it too. Um, Christopher Cantwell's not involved in this book, but it was hard not to think about him based on the fact it's too, it's a character he's still writing, a character he just wrote and Angel Uzetta filled in as the regular artist on Iron Man for a few issues filling in for Kafu. And so, you know, that's probably the reason I was feeling we're getting a little bit of an Iron Man vibe. Plus Alex Ross does the main cover. Alex Ross does the main covers for Iron Man. So all that being said, um, it's an interesting story. Like it's, it's sort of playful and Derek Landy definitely plays a little bit with the, the banter and the long-term relationship that Steve Rogers and, and Tony Stark have. So that worked for me. The antagonist is an interesting character. I uh, want to learn more about her. Apparently she's showed up in a, a uh, Falcon and winter soldier series recently. Uh, so that made sense to me that, that, you know, she would show up here because we think about it, Falcon and winter soldier. That's a, uh, that's a team up book. And so is this uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, I, this was fun. I was interested. The art was really fantastic, especially the line work from Angel and Zeta. Uh, I was really impressed. So I enjoyed this more than I expected to. Uh, and, and not that I 
had low expectations for it. I, I try not to have any expectations, but you know, I hear a Captain America Iron Man team up and for whatever reason, my, I guess maybe because these characters have been around for so long and they have been uh, friends and there's so many team ups of them from way back when that it, I feel like it's going to be an old fashioned story. Um, but it didn't, it felt very modern. It didn't feel old fashioned at all. So I did enjoy it. Uh, it was also really fast paced. There was a lot of action. Um, and it was over. It felt like it was over pretty quick. Um, so I won't necessarily say it was a problem with pacing, but for a first issue, I wouldn't have minded a little more story, a little more development, maybe a few extra pages. So, uh, but it was just a standard 20 pages, still really solid. And the art uh, makes makes the book worth picking up almost, almost on its own. Uh, okay. Up next, I have another image title and should mention some shops got this last week. Um, some didn't get it. So this week we didn't get the digital preview copy till this week, but it's cross uh, crossover number 10 from writer uh, Donnie Cates. Also with Brian Michael Bendis doing some writing for pages 12 through 17. Jeff Shaw uh, is the artist with some help from Michael Avon Oming pages 12 through 17. Then we have D Cunniff on colors with Nick Filardi helping out for pages 12 through 17. John J. Hill does this, does the design. Uh, crossover has been a fantastic series since it started really showcasing the love that Donnie Cates has for comics and getting meta at times. This is sort of a down issue in terms of big events happening, uh, but it provides a lot of context. And then we get um, across uh, or across, we get a um, special guest appearance um, at the end, that's very meta that sort of flips the whole thing on its head again, where you think, okay, this might not be the most impactful issue, but I'm getting a lot of context and it's building up. And then with what we see in the last, on the last page, oh man, it just brought a smile to my face. It, it, yeah. It was just really, it was really cool. I can't wait to talk about this book with uh, or talk, you know, talk about it with, with other crossover fans or, or just talk about it on the, when I go to talk about issue 11, then I'll be able to come back and do some spoilers on this um, and talk about that last page because it's fantastic. Uh, and then we get the tease. The mystery continues in the next chapter of crossover. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that all plays out, but uh, you know, I've said it from the beginning, um, how much this series shows Donny Kate's love of the big giant summer blockbuster crossover and, and comics as a medium and whatnot. And he, and there have been series that have done that right over the years. Um, but Donnie takes it one step further by putting actual comic creators in the story and not just, you know, showing up as a cameo here or there, like, they're being murdered or they're going missing or some of them are suspects and other murders and whatnot. And so, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole heck of a lot of fun. Um, that's what I'll say about the crossover. Uh, at times I felt the pacing hasn't been perfect. It's felt a little slow at times, 
Other times it feels like it's maybe moving a little too fast. Um, but I'm, I'm nitpicking overall. It's a, it's a fantastic series. So, uh, okay. Up to another uh, Marvel book. And this is one that a lot of people have been anxiously awaiting. It's devil's devil's reign part one. So obviously, um, this spins out of the, the recent run on Daredevil that Chip Zdarsky's been doing. The regular Daredevil series is on hiatus. Well, Zdarsky and the regular Daredevil uh, artist, Marco Cicchetto, work on this. We have uh, Marcio Menez on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. This, for me, was just okay. Um, again, I'm, I'm a huge Chip Zdarsky fan, and I love the potential of what's here. But it also rehashes some ideas that are really tired. Um, and honestly, I, I sort of expect more from Chip Zdarsky. Maybe that's unfair. Um, maybe he didn't have a, a choice or a different way in to get on the path he wanted to get on. And again, even though this does feel a little bit derivative in terms of some of the big ideas, it's clear by the time you get to the end of the issue that Zadarsky is going to take it in a, in a different place and look at it from a different perspective that, that hasn't been done before. Uh, it is also a 30 page issue. So we get a bigger chunk of story. The art by Marco Cicchetto is, is really good, really moody at times where it needs to be and an action pack I'm a ton of action. And a lot of people are going to be talking about this one. Um, but for me, it was just that idea that, Hey, th this is a little bit of a story that we've seen before uh, or we've heard about before a cu couple times before, actually. So could, could the basis of the story, could, could the sort of the impetus, the jumping off point of the story been different? Um, and it's just, it's just too soon to say. Um, but I think if you can look past that, there's some really good stuff happening. And like I said, you know, by halfway through three quarters through, it's clear that it's going, even though it, it does seem to be a bit derivative, it, it's going to be its own thing. So um, how successful it is, we'll have to, to wait and see. Um, and I'm glad it's just called devil's reign and not like, you know, daredevil's reign or, or um, daredevil's not even in the title. I mean, you could, theoretically say well the devil the words right there but but this doesn't focus on on matt murdoch or daredevil in any way you know we get we get tons of spider-man um captain america iron man uh fantastic four i mean these people are all on the cover i'm not spoiling anything here um but yeah there, there's a good mix of of characters so really interesting start uh, okay, another Marvel books up next. It's uh, The Death of Doctor Strange Blade, one shot written by Danny Lohr. Art is by Dylan Burnett. Colors by Mike Spicer. Uh, letters by Travis Lanham. Strength of this is certainly the writing, especially the voice that Danny Lohr gives to, uh, to Blade and the way he interacts with the other vampires, sort of leaning into that idea that poor Blade is, is one of these one of these characters who has a foot in two worlds, right? Uh, he's not fully a vampire. He doesn't have all their weaknesses, but yet has all their strengths. It's what they call him the daywalker or whatnot, but he's not accepted by the vampire community, but he's not accepted by the, you know, non-vampires either. They each have that distrust of, of the other. Um, so it, it, 
again, Danny Lord does a great job of, of giving us that, that feel of blade walking around with the, with the chip on his shoulder. Uh, as far as how it ties into the death of Dr. Strange, it's sort of tangential. Um, we talk about vampires maybe being a little more visible, not being as worried um, about their very existence, I guess, uh, now that Dr. Strange is not around. Uh, what I didn't care for was the art style. Um, it's a it's a different style than I've seen from Dylan Burnett before. You know, when he did the uh, the X-Force series, I really enjoyed his art. It was sort of kinetic and stylized. This is, I don't know. I can't put my my finger on on what it is that uh, I didn't like, but just the overall aesthetic, this kind of the style and, and the tone of the art didn't didn't work for me. Um, and I, I feel sort of like because of the the style that Dylan chose to render the line work in that Mike Spicer as the colors was was kind of challenged to make it work. Um, so you end up with a lot of like these yellows and blues and 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 uh, pastel pinks and uh the color didn't do it any any favors either so uh it does have a really cool main cover that's about the best thing i can say about it um well that and and how much uh we did get a couple of flashbacks or how 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 much of uh of blade sort of inner monologue about how much he cared and respected for for dr strange so i did i did like that about the book uh, okay, let's move on to next book I'm going to talk about. Uh, it's another Marvel title. It's Fantastic Four Life Story, The the Ots, I guess you'd say. Uh, it's from writer Mark Russell. Art is by Sean Azaki with Carlos Magno. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Letters by Joe Caramagna. This has been a very poignant book. If you're not familiar with Life Story, it happens in, in real time. So we had issue one took place in the 60s, two was the 70s, three was the 80s, four was... The 90s and now fives in the aughts. Um, Reed Richards has been obsessed with ever since he sort of touched minds with Galactus all those many years ago. We saw last issue Galactus was on his way, getting close. They actually had a date for when he'd be there. And we also saw the death of the Human Torch, which was hugely impactful. It was rough to see Johnny Storm buy it, uh, even if it wasn't a, a really heroic way. So obviously in this issue, the Fantastic Four being very much a, a family, even more than a superhero team. They're dealing with that loss of Johnny. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, this is, this is a what if story. That's, that's what it is at the end of the day. Uh, I talked about the first issue, how it didn't really work for me that well. Um, the relationships and the, and the history and changes to the history of these characters that Mark Russell had introduced just didn't work for me, but with issue two, it clicked when I was like, I just kind of think of this as a, as a, what if, um, and then it, everything sort of fell into place. So I, I bring that up to say there's something that happens kind of toward the end of this issue that I didn't necessarily care for. And I feel like, well, you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot for, for issue number six. Like I didn't really understand why, uh, Mark Russell did it, but I'm sure he has his reasons and, and maybe it'll make sense by the time we get to, uh, to the, the next issue. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. So anyway, it's really strong, really love the art. The art in this series has been fantastic throughout. Um, the Sean is, uh, is Oski. Um, 
it's hard for me to tell like Carlos Magno, he, he's been doing fantastic art on the Kang series it, and their art style is similar. It's hard for me to tell who did what here. Um, so both artists deserve credit and uh, tons of credit too to, to uh, the color artists because the, the colors here are, are fantastic from, uh, from Nolan Woodard. So, uh, okay. Up next we have uh, from image comics, the good Asian issue number seven. This is from writer Pornsack Pichichote. Alexander Tefegni is the artist. Lee Leverage does the colors, Jeff Powell on letters and design. Uh, all along, we have talked about the fact that at the core of this story, it is a detective noir story. Yes, there are issues of race. Yes, there are conversations to be started and talked about. Chinese Exclusion, Exclusion Act and, uh, and whatnot. But first and foremost, this is a detective story inspired by, you know, those pulp novels of, uh, of the early 20th century, you know, not, if not the actual, you know, movies themselves that starred uh, people like Humphrey Bogart and, and whatnot. Um, but this this issue, issue seven, I, I sort of feel like puts puts the fact that it's inspired by those fantastic dime store pulp novels at the forefront like never before. Like there are so many twists and turns and different motivations for characters based on it, ways they've been wronged or ways they perceive that they've been wronged. Like there's a lot to dig into here. Um like a lot. And the, I think this is one of those books where it wouldn't be a bad idea as the new issue comes out. If you go back and reread the, the previous issue that, that came right before it to kind of jog your memory, or, or maybe you'll do like I've done with, with some series over the years where every time a new issue comes out, I go back and reread from the beginning, you know, so issue one comes out, I'm, I'm sure to read it twice. And then issue two comes out. I go back and read issue one first, and then I read issue two. And then when issue three comes out, I go back and I read one and two, and then dive into three, just just to kind of make sure I'm I'm not missing anything. And and good Asian is good enough and dense enough, and there's there's enough in there that I think you would benefit from subsequent reads. So uh, do recommend that one for sure. Uh, okay, we have another Marvel book up next. It's uh, the Black Cat, Giant Size, Infinity Score. Number one from writer Jed McKay. CF Villa is the artist. Brian Raybear does the colors. Farron Delgado on uh, letters. Fantastic art. Fantastic art, fantastic color. Showing a human side of Black Cat that we haven't seen a lot of before. As she, she breaks into a hospital of all places. She's bringing along three of the the people who are sort of sentient infinity sounds at, at this point. And the whole reason black cat's doing this is she's curing her mother of cancer. Um, so it's a more human side of black cat than we've ever seen before. I think Jed McKay does a great job of, uh, of giving us a good balance between the different bat or, or black cats rather that we've seen over the years. Some were villainous and others. Uh, I think it's a good, it's a good mix. And like I said, fantastic art, great line work. Uh, 
wonderful snappy dialogue from black cat yeah i thought it was it was pretty fantastic i definitely enjoyed it uh okay up next another marvel title it's inferno number three this is from writer jonathan hickman we have rb silva stefano caselli and uh, valerio shitti on pencils adriano di benedetto on inks david curiel on colors uh, Joe Sabino on letters. Design is by Tom Muller. Oh man, Inferno is so good. It really, really is. Um, you almost could read Dawn of X or uh, House of X and Powers of X and then skip everything in the middle and go right to Inferno. Because really this is, um, this is Jonathan Hickman picking up on some of those big ideas that he had early on for uh, the X-Men. But then with... Uh, you know, all the, all the different titles launching after uh, House of X and Powers of X and, you know, launching with different teams where everybody sort of jumbled. It's, it's made it, it's made it challenging, I'll say, to follow along and really get a feel, uh, especially because Marvel had some fun with it, right? Like mixing around the team names with who was on there to, to make you wonder, and then you didn't really have, it was like X-Force, it should be the paramilitary team, but then, you know, then it wasn't necessarily so. Um, but I mean, Hickman's done a fantastic job as the showrunner for the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe for sure. Um, but in doing so and, and having other people write those titles, obviously with Hickman overseeing them, um, Hickman hasn't had a chance to really pick up on a lot of the, the big ideas, the, uh, the big threads that we got in the, the initial house of X powers of X uh, series and, and Inferno is his, his chance to do that. So uh, it's been fantastic. We've been getting flashbacks with things that, that happened in the early days of Krakoa that were happening behind the scenes that we weren't privy to previously. And it's definitely, giving more context to uh, the story and, and why things happen the way they did. So again, this is, this is a lot of credit to, to Hickman for how interesting this is. And for him, uh, I mean, he must've had an idea that he was going to do a series like this. that was going to answer a lot of the, the questions about uh, man versus machine and all that sort of mysteries that we, that we got early on. So uh, this is that series for sure. And I, because it's, I don't want to say because it's convoluted, but because it's so interesting and dynamic and ties into some of those loose threads of plot so well, I can't really talk like in even any generalities about what's going on here, but what's going on is exciting um, and it's political and uh, it's going to also require some, some sacrifice uh, on behalf of, uh, of somebody or somebody's. So, uh, yeah, I, man, if you are reading any of the X-Men titles, that, that is, a Inferno is a, a absolute must read for sure. Uh, okay. Up next is made in Korea. Number six from, uh, writer, Jeremy Holt, George Shaw does the art, Adam Woolett on lettering poignant series as it comes to a close. Um, I find myself wondering what the heck was in Jeremy Holt's mind when he, when he did this story. Um, and hopefully we're going to have him on to talk about it 
because I, I don't want to say I was lost because I, I totally understood what happened. But what I wonder about is what I kind of want to know what's behind it. I kind of want to know the subtext. Like what is, what does Jeremy Holt think I should be getting out of this story? Um, Cause I, I love it. I love the way it all played out and I, I need to go back and reread it like all six issues and one sitting to get um, more of a feel of the arcs that the characters went on. But what is it going to say to me when I do that? You know, how is it going to, going to speak to me? Um, Because this artificial person, uh, this artificial construct that, uh, you know, was mimicking life as a human child you know it's not again not the most original idea but this this idea that you create an artificial construct and in many ways it can be better than a human better than a human child it can't be heard it won't die that sort of thing um but it's also about that perspective of it is an android it is a it is a robot it is a machine but it has, you know, vast intelligence. And what's the dynamic that, that bringing something like that into your life has on a family. Um, and then when it's taken away and yeah, there's just so much, so much to be explored. So I, I look forward to having Jeremy Holt on to, to talk about that. Uh, and the George Shaw art has been fantastic throughout little, little stylized, not always the best uh, anatomy or, sort of scaling of things at times, but it definitely works. There's a gentleness to the art that speaks to the fragility of the uh, sort of the human, like what it means to be human. You know, it's that, it's that same kind of idea with the fine lines. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, pretty solid, definitely recommend it. Uh, okay, next. This is a book that actually made me mad. Uh, it's Phenom X. It's from, it's, I'll read it as it's credited here. Script plot by John Leguzamu, Adam Rappaport, uh, Joe Misiak, and Damon Slarity. The art is by Chris Batista. Inks are by Sabrina Sintron. Colors by Christopher Mayor. Letters by Ann World Design. Um, not enough latin comics or mexican comics or whatever whatever label you want to put on it uh and john leguzamo's you know he's of hispanic or latin heritage uh he clearly is a fan of comics he doesn't think there's enough latin characters out there he wanted to create his own uh and that's how we got this book from todd mcfarland productions um and it's hard not to notice that the the character does in his face look a little bit like leguzamo I really enjoyed the first issue. It, some people might not like how political it is, or, and I don't even necessarily see it as political so much as uh, societal. You know, um, Leguizamo's not shying away from the things that should be of a concern or are a concern to the, the Latin community, you know, um, sort of in your face. And, and again, I, I don't know that, it's even possible if you have a brain in your head to, to argue about the, the politics of this. It's, it's simply the way that it is. Um, and he leans even further into that 
uh, the whole creative team leans further into that in the second issue where I, I, I was getting, uh, like I said, I was getting angry. I'm like, man, these people are just shit on all the time. Um, both in our world and, and in the world of the comic. Um, and then they're just, they're, they're taken advantage of they're overlooked. They're forgotten about. And then when you do notice them, it's what can you do for me? And then they're thrown, thrown away like disposable humans. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty disgusting and disheartening and, and anger inducing, honestly. So um, I'm going to continue to read this book as much as I enjoyed the first one. The second one I thought was even better. Uh, can't wait to have John on the show to, to talk about it. There's plenty of action. Um, the art is solid. If I have any nitpick on it, the scripting at times can be a, a little wonky. And I don't know, maybe it's because they try to use so much slang, um, street talk kind of stu uh, stuff. So, um, but it, it's not necessarily that that bugs me. Um, it's just, it, it's a little off when it comes to the scripting. Um, so I don't know, maybe they're not going back and doing a second, second pass after the, Darts turned in um, to sort of tweak this, the script to make it suit the art uh, a little bit better. But again, it's a minor nitpick. This is an important book. This is a really important book. Uh, and, and you guys should definitely check it out. That's all I, that's all I can say. Definitely should be checking that out. So, uh, okay. Up next, we have the, the end for now of uh, Post-Americana. It's issue number seven. This is a uh, story and art by Steve Scroach. Dave Stewart handles the colors, phonographics on letters. It's action-packed and it's fun and it's brutal and it's bloody and it's gory, just like the series has been throughout. Uh, this is Jay's book of the week, uh, even though you can join me. Um, love the way everything plays out here. It, it, it plays out realistically, I guess I'll say, as realistic as it can be when we're uh, talking about a, a comic with um, prosthesis and cybernetics and intelligent Humpty Dumpty like characters and uh, elephants with artificial intelligence and whatnot. So it's, it's a little over the top. It has been all along uh, by Steve Scroach. It's, it's a whole, whole heck of a lot of fun. And all I'll say about the antagonist is neither. We don't see any bodies, you know, to, to borrow that cliche. So, yes, is it a happy ending? Well, it, it seems like the bad guys are defeated. But again, until you see that body, do you know they're really gone for good? Who knows? Uh, and the Steve Scroach art, fantastic. You know, they're very much reminiscent of, of Jeff Darrow. If you're familiar with his art in terms of just so much detail, so much detail, really fine lines, beautiful artwork. It's been a lot of fun. That, that, that's a series that I'll go back and reread the whole thing. In one sitting, not because it's confusing by any stretch, but just because it's it's fun and you want to experience it all, uh, all in one sitting, so to speak. Uh, okay, another image title up next. It's Scumbag Number Eleven from writer Rick Remender. Art is by Roland Bochi. Colors by Marino De Denicio. Letters by Russ Wooten. <laughs> Scumbag, uh, poor old Ernie who has these powers, but uh, just wants to be left alone to get high and have sex and and drink and uh you know he is the the scumbag referred to in the title 
And all along, he's been a despicable character. And in a way, you kind of want to see him get what's coming to him. Um, and as this issue starts to head in that direction, I found myself feeling bad for Ernie and, and maybe wanting to um, not to see him get totally destroyed <laughs> you know not to like you want him to get what's coming to him but at the same time there's part of you that's like oh yeah maybe we can let it slide um but ernie does try to to make amends in, in his mind make things better for his quote-unquote friends uh from the before time before he got the powers and uh it just doesn't work out doesn't work out for him at all um yeah just Total, total, total debauchery in this title, uh, but a whole heck of a lot of fun. And uh, although I, I lament the fact that Louis LaRosso should have done all the issues, uh, a lot of the film artists have been fantastic. This is no exception. The Roland Bochy art is, uh, is a whole heck of a lot of fun. So um, I think Scumbag, other than, than one issue that got a little too trippy with like space hippies or whatnot, uh, I think other than that, it's been pretty solid. So been been pretty happy with it. Uh, okay. Up next is the silver coin. This is written by Ram V uh, lines and letters by Michael Walsh colors by Michael Walsh and Tony Marie green. So we've talked a lot about this book in the past in terms of uh, it's, it's Michael Walsh. It's sort of his baby and he'll bring on a different co-writer each time. Um, and it's a story about this coin that's just possessed. So this time the owner of the coin goes to Vegas and spends a night at the, uh, the craps tables and does, does really well for himself. But in the end, uh, he's got to pay a price for that. So leave it to Ram V to, to conquer the idea of greed in the, in the world of, of the silver coin. Um, Cause this guy's definitely, it definitely feels like he has some chances. You know, he has some chances to not make the same mistakes that, that others have made in terms of greed and whatnot. And fortunately, he, he can't help himself. And I can't say I wouldn't have done the same, made the same decisions uh, that he made if I were in his situation. But uh, Silver Coin continues to be fascinating, uh, especially when we got the issue that sort of tied everything together, but not really. So I'm curious if we're going to get another one of those um, sometime soon. So I do recommend Silver Coin from Image, uh, especially if you love horror. It, it's 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 a good it's a good book. Yeah, leave it to Ram V, like I said, to to turn it up a notch um, for that for that title. Uh, okay, up next we have uh, another aftershock book, and this is sort of a, a big one shot. And if I understand correctly, according to what I've been told. Um, this is like the biggest single selling issue uh, for for Aftershock in terms of uh, one shots. So congrats to, to Frank Thierry. He's the writer uh, and Joe Eisma. He's the artist uh, for those uh, or for that milestone. And it is a, a larger size book. It's 48 pages um, and it's it's called Tales of Mother F. Goose. Uh, and it's it, it's fantastic. Again, Frank Thierry is the writer, Joe Eisma artist, Matt Herms is the colorist, and Carlos M. Mangual does the letters. And you know, it's this idea of taking these classic 
Mother Goose characters, like the three little pigs or little Miss Muffet or three blind mice and throwing them in the world of, of crime noir. And it works wonderfully. It's a fantastic idea. It's beautifully illustrated by Joe Isma, but what really makes it work is, is the scripting. Um, this might be my favorite thing that Frank Thierry's ever done. Uh, it, it's got smart scripting. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of talk down to the readers. Uh, he, he, he lets us just sort of dive right in and, and figure it out on the way. Um, and then, you know, seeing these sort of hard, hard boiled versions of these classic nursery rhyme characters is it's just it's just fantastic i mean we've got the three little pigs we got the uh, three blind mice we have uh miss muffet which if you read there if you read aftershocks halloween special a few weeks ago you know you got to know her sort of intimately and now we're we're following up on that so again I, i just love this i can't wait to get more i hope we do get more it's a brilliant concept and uh yeah, Frank's a perfect person to write it too. So highest recommendations for that. Okay, last book I'm going to talk about in detail. What's the furthest place from here? Um, and this is from writer uh, Matthew Rosenberg. We also have uh, art by Tyler Boss. But to say Tyler's just the artist is to to sort of sell him, him short. Um, because he does, he does, I think he helps out with plotting and, and that. And in fact, it's listed as Tyler Boss and Matthew Rosenberg as storytellers. And then we have Hassan Atzman Elhow as, as the letterer. So maybe I should just stick to um, describing it that way, you know. Um, but it's a post apocalyptic story about this band of, of young 20 somethings, maybe teenagers who recently lost one of their friends. One of their friends went missing from their compound um, and they're out there sort of trying to find their way. Um, I did feel like this issue was a bit of, of setup. I didn't, I didn't feel like we necessarily got uh, a ton of, of movement forward in the story. And I'm still a little confused about what exactly is happening, but again, that, that might be, you know, just on me and the, and, you know, the nature of, of the story. I need to go back and take my time and reread issue one, and then I can reread issue two, but um, just taken as, as little vignettes, little snapshots of this group's journey so far, it's, it's fascinating in that way. So uh, very curious to see where it goes from, where it goes from there. And, you know, I haven't seen, Tyler boss do much art on much of anything else since um, four kids in a bank. So it's, it's good to see him stretching his artistic muscles again. Um, so yeah, very curious about this one and, and to see where it goes. All right. Well, let me give a rundown on some of the other books you might want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, in addition to the ones that I already talked about from AWA studios, we have a uh, title called crimson cage. Number one of five that's starting. We have Knighted number 205 from Mark Teixeira over at Boom Studios. We've got the Cullen Bunn title Basilisk number five is out. There's a new Buffy series starting Buffy the Vampire Slayer number one of four. Magic of the Gathering is up to issue number nine. 
uh, over at DC. Again, we talked about these books yesterday on the spot, DC Spotlight. Arkham City, The Order of the World, number three of six. Batman number 118 from Joshua Williamson, which is a new direction for Batman. We've got Batman 89, number four. Crush and Lobo, number seven of eight. Um, that miniseries is quickly coming to a close. Speaking of miniseries, we've got Dark Knights of Steel, number two from Tom Taylor. Uh, Green Lantern, number nine. We also have One Star Squadron, which is very satirical. It's the first issue, the debut issue from, uh, from Mark Russell. Suicide Squad is up to number 10, as is uh, Swamp Thing. We also have Superman, Son of Kal-El, annual number one for 2021, which uh, gives us some perspective on John Kent and, and Lex Luthor. Uh, and then we finish up with World of Krypton, number one of, uh, of six. Meanwhile, over at Image, in addition to the books that I talked about, we've got... Uh, Inkblot number 14. We've got Sea of Stars Volume 2, People of the Broken Moon, and then Walking Dead Deluxe number uh, 28. From Marvel, uh, Amazing Fantasy number 505 brings that story from Kari Andrews to a close. Uh, we've got Hellions number 18, and I think is that. Oh, uh, and then um, X-Men Legends, number nine. And that's all the, the X-Men books. And then uh, we've got Star Wars, number 19, and Star Wars Crimson Reign, number one of five. Uh, over at Vault, we have Lunar Room, number one, making its debut. And I think that's going to do it, everybody. So um, interesting week, a lot of good titles, very eclectic. Definitely recommend uh, quite a few of the, of the books sure you pick them up uh and as always we appreciate it uh, everybody listening keep your eyes peeled for uh, all the announcements about what we're going to be doing for 12 days of the comic source and all the giveaways uh really appreciate you listening as always and we will talk to you next time you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.